It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the next edition of the 2020 Jets Offseason Roundtable. And for that, we're joined by a familiar voice that you hear a lot if you listen to this podcast, although you're not going to hear him anymore after this, unfortunately. Going to be the last time you hear from Matt Stipulkowski, formerly now, of NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media covering the Jets, but no longer. Matt has moved on to another venture. He is going to be leaving the life of being a beat reporter, but I am really glad that he spent so much time giving us reports in the post game and also during training camp. He's been one of my favorite guests, and I wish him well in his future endeavors post-Jets beat life. Because he's on the show a lot, you're familiar with his opinions, but now instead of in the heat of the moment opinions right after the game, you're going to get a more laid back opinion from Matt overall now that he can sit back and judge this, not just as a member of the beat, which he was when the 2019 season was going on, but from the outside since he's not going to be on the beat anymore. Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Glad to have you on, brother. Yeah, good to talk to you too, Scott. And yeah, looking forward to you know doing some more kind of macro level stuff, three thousand foot level stuff, big picture look at uh, the Jets as opposed to just kind of the the weekly uh, grind and you know the the micro level stuff after a game. So it uh, should be fun. Let's do it. So let's start with Adam Gase. What'd you think of his first year on the job? Uh, mixed, I guess, would be the. <laughs> A decent way to put it, or maybe a slightly generous way to put it, depending on your perspective. Um, I mean, seven and nine isn't terrible. Uh, it's frankly what I expected from this team at the start of the season. So um, I know the the process and how the Jets got to that point is probably you know giving a lot of fans pause and everything like that. But uh, when you start with the top line results, at least Gase got to the win-loss record that I projected for the Jets. So it's hard to say it was a complete failure, um, especially when you throw in the Jets' horrible injury luck and everything like that. But um, then when you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it a little bit and you look at uh, how Gase's offense performed and, uh, you know, his play calling and his adjustments and stuff like that, that's obviously where you start to see uh, some more issues pop up. So uh, while the top-line results, I think, are passable, they're fine uh you know the fact that the offense was dead last or near dead last in all the categories is obviously a problem the fact that uh they struggled so much after halftime coming out when you know they should have been making adjustments to become more effective and they had trouble scoring instead um you know the fact that Gase at times seemed to just stray away from either the Jets strengths or uh you know the fact that there were opponents glaring weaknesses that he didn't attack maybe as much as he should have 
uh, all of that kind of adds up to an interesting and kind of problematic puzzle. But um, yeah, I will say when I looked at the numbers, the, the offense did do better in the second half of the season than it did in the first. Not that they set a particularly high bar for themselves. So, uh, you know, there was a little bit of progress, but probably not as much as Jets fans would have liked. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was a mixed bag for Gase. But like I said, the top line results were okay, but some of the details were obviously a bit sketchy. What do you think about the contrast between the results that Adam Gase produced with the offense and the results that were produced on the defense by Greg Williams and the results that were produced on the special team side of things by Brant Boyer? Yeah, I mean, well, I, it's pretty clear to just about everyone, I would think, that the offense was the third out of those three units, right? I mean, the, the defense was um, vastly overperforming throughout the year, especially given the talent that Greg Williams started with and then the number of injuries and changes he had to make. I mean, the fact that that defense was even kind of a, a middle-of-the-road ranked defense is pretty impressive given the cast of characters he had to deal with. And uh, then, obviously, there's Brant Boyer, who – wound up having one of the best special teams units in the league once again this year. So the offense obviously pales in, in comparison to that. But um, so on a, on a micro level, just within his unit, Gates obviously probably didn't do as good of a job as those other two guys, Boyer and Greg Williams. But uh, one thing I do think is interesting and gets lost in the shuffle a little bit is, I mean, it was, it, you know, it's, it's Gates's defense to an extent too. I know he doesn't really have any, you know, say on that side of the ball, he lets Greg Williams do his own thing, but he was the guy that was smart enough to, to hire Greg Williams. And uh, so I'm not saying that Gase deserves all the credit for that, but uh, when Jets fans are quick to give Greg Williams a ton of credit, I do think that they should acknowledge the fact that Greg Williams is in this position because Adam Gase wanted him there and lured him to New York. And the same thing, you know, he decided to keep her around. So um, I'm not saying that Gase deserves a medal for any of that, but uh, it certainly seems that at least as a, you know, a big picture manager of the the team. Case made a couple of good decisions with his coordinators there, and that wound up helping the Jets, obviously. Um, but when it comes to you know operating within their own units, Case uh, obviously struggled more than Boyer and Greg Williams, and uh, the offense was certainly the third best of the three. What do you need to see from Gase in 2020? Well, I think first and foremost, it's uh, improvement from Sam Donald, right? I mean. We saw a little bit of it this year, um, but it was more modest steps than I think most fans probably were hoping for. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people expected that big year two leap from Sam Darnold. We didn't really get that. We got more of a, a little bunny hop forward. So uh, first and foremost, I would say, you know, Sam Darnold really hitting his stride and uh, becoming a, you know, a top tier quarterback in this league, or at least, you know, looking more like that on a consistent basis. Number one, uh, number two, just, uh, you know, a more effective or uh, how can I put it best? I mean, he, he has to adjust better is basically how I guess you can best phrase it. I mean, when things aren't going well for the Jets, Case has to find a way to kind of spark something, get things going a little bit. Uh, they have to avoid some of the big lulls that cost them at times this year. They have to avoid the catastrophic numbers that they put up in third quarter throughout this year where uh, it seemed like every time they came out of the half, the opposing defense kind of, you know, had a, a new game plan or a new way to cope with them, and the Jets didn't have a, a way to counterpunch and, you know, get the ball down the field, score points. So uh, those two things, I think, are the, the biggest thing. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, some better play calling, kind of a nebulous thing. There's no real good metric to, to put on that. But uh, I guess it's one of those things you kind of know when you see it. So, uh, 
you know, if he can use Le'Veon Bell, assuming he's around a little bit better and get the run game a, a bit more involved, that obviously would be a big plus. But I, I think the, the top two things for sure are uh, the offense's ability to adjust in-game, which obviously stems directly from Gase's coaching, and then also Sam Darnold's development because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, he's here because of Sam Darnold. So, you know, if the quarterback isn't getting markedly better uh, under Gase's tenure, then that's one of the biggest indictments that you could have against him. So those are the two things I think you really have to look at in 2020 for Gase. What did you think about Darnold in 2019? Did he meet your expectations? Did he come as far as you thought he would? Was it a little disappointing? Were you expecting more? And what do you think he needs to do to jump to that next level in 2020? Yeah, so uh, to a lesser extent, a mixed bag as well. So, I mean, he was uh, good for stretches, but then also obviously had some stretches where uh, he had some serious brain farts and just big mischances and mistakes. So, uh, you know, I would say it was a, a little bit of an underwhelming season for Donald just based on the fact that he finished last year so strong and you were hoping that he would carry that over for a 16-game slate this year. Uh, obviously, he wasn't helped by the fact that he had those three games on the sideline due to mono right off the bat. So um, there were a little bit of extenuating circumstances. Uh, there was still that lull in the middle of the season, I'm thinking around the time of the first offense game where he was throwing some really bad interceptions and uh you know really interesting or you know really poor mistakes and looked like he was kind of in the wilderness a little bit and he did regroup a bit down the stretch there and start to play better once again and uh you know he and Gase seemed to think that it was because he was more comfortable in the offense obviously uh that's what Donald was saying after year one two is you know he was good down the stretch because he started to get comfortable in Jeremy Bates' offense I guess the real test will be if Darnold can carry this over to the start of next season and, you know, now that he's in the same offense more than one year. So if, you know, if he really did uh, get more comfortable in this offense and that's the reason he was better, he should pick up right where he left off at the beginning of 2020. So that'll be the litmus test for that. But uh, I would say he, he did take some small steps forward. He did get a bit more consistent down the stretch than he was in his rookie season, but uh, still a little bit underwhelming. Didn't make as big of a leap forward as you would probably have hoped. And uh, I think the big thing for Darnold, and this might be something that we're saying throughout his career, just depending on kind of the trajectory he takes, but uh, turnovers and, and bad decisions are going to be the thing for him. I mean, he was uh, a little bit turnover prone at USC. He's been kind of tone, turnover prone his first two years in the NFL. Uh, he seems to have those moments that pop up where he just makes a bad decision in the heat of the moment. And also other times where he gets a little too aggressive and uh, you know, he's a kind of a gunslinger and you know, that's why he's able to produce some magical moments at some points, but uh, it can also get him in trouble as we've seen so far this year. So, uh, or so far the last two years. So, uh, you know, that gunslinger mentality can, uh, it can be great some weeks. It can be brutal smothers. So, he has to find a way to kind of minimize those mistakes while maximizing the big plays that come with that aggression. So uh, it's tough to coach that. I would think just simply because it's tough to simulate, uh, you know, what you're feeling in that moment. Uh, it's so instinctual, right? I mean, you've got guys in your face, you're, you're trying to run plays. There's uh, you know, big pressure in the fourth quarter, what have you. And you, you can't simulate that in practice, how a guy's going to react in that split second when everything's on the line is, uh, a tough thing to simulate. So it's very instinctual and it's something that Arnold uh, is going to have to find a way to kind of fix on the fly here and get better at as he gets older. Maybe it'll just be part of the maturation process or 
maybe it'll just be something that he kind of struggles with throughout his career. It's kind of to be determined at this point. But uh, that, I think, is the big thing for him and the big thing that he's always going to have to kind of work on, at least over the next couple of years here. How much trust do you think Jets fans should have in Joe Douglas right now to build the pieces around Darnold to help elevate him to the next level that we were all hoping he would get to in 2019 and that we hope that he will get to in 2020 and also obviously add the pieces that will help the Jets get over the hump and go from the losing team that they've mostly been over the past decade into a period of sustained winning? Yeah, so if I was a Jets fan, I think I would be cautiously optimistic about Joe Douglas is probably the best way I can put it. So, um, you know, he showed signs that he has an eye for talent. He made some nice moves this year. I mean, uh, the Demarius Thomas trade obviously wound up working out pretty well for the Jets, even though uh, when it happened, folks were probably pretty confused as to what was going on there and why the Jets were trading with the Patriots and, you know, doing it for a guy that's old and banged up, but it kind of worked out for them. And uh, they wound up getting Vincent Smith as well. Another, quality wide receiver you know kind of a young and raw guy but he he wound up producing a bit so that was a positive there was a couple other pieces throughout the year too that uh douglas scooped up and wound up you know becoming some uh something of a factor down the stretch and you know getting some minutes so uh, all of those things add up to douglas you know maybe having eye for some talent but he hasn't really done it on that you know top tier level yet right he hasn't had the chance to go out in free agency go out in the draft and he hasn't proven that he can uh, pick the, those elite talents and get those big calls right. And, you know, probably the most marquee decision he's had so far was the Ryan Khalil deal, which obviously went sideways. That didn't work out for the Jets at all. So, um, you know, not saying that we should get, give up on Douglas by any stretch because of that one bad deal. But, you know, he has proven that he can kind of do some stuff around the bottom of the roster, building depth, kind of getting some of those value selections. Now he has to prove that he can go out in free agency and find the right guys for the right price tags, uh, you know, build out those top tier, uh, you know, talent levels, get some stars uh, via free agency and in the draft. So uh, there's still a lot left for Douglas to prove, and you know, we'll know a lot more in about a year or so from now. But uh, for right now, I would say if you're a Jets fan, cautiously optimistic with the Jets, I mean, or with Douglas rather. I mean, he obviously had a, a reputation coming in, and he hasn't really done anything to – Sully it to this point. So uh, if you're the Jets, you're a Jets fan, you should be feeling pretty good about Joe Douglas. But, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to take everything at face value. You got to have at least a little bit of cynicism until he actually starts to prove it. A lot of Jets fans are highly skeptical right now of Jets ownership, specifically the Johnsons. Do you think that they're right to be skeptical? Uh, yeah, I would say to a degree. I mean, things haven't exactly worked out super well under their watch dating back to when Woody bought the team in 1990 or 2000, whichever it was, I can't remember off the top of my head, but around there, I mean, uh, it hasn't gone swimmingly, especially in recent years. So uh, I can't blame Jeff fans if they're going to be a bit skeptical of ownership, Um, but you got to at least hope that they get it right. Cause obviously, I mean, there's not too much you can do if you're a Jet fan in that regard, you can't really change who owns the team and who's running them day to day. So uh, you have to, put some degree of faith in them or at least have some sort of hope that they're going to, you know, get some of these big calls right at this point. Obviously, uh, you know, I just said Joe Douglas, you should be cautiously optimistic about him. So uh, if you're optimistic that Joe Douglas is the right guy for the job, then you have to be optimistic that Christopher Johnson made the right decision in hiring him. So um, Gase, obviously the jury is still out on that one. 
I know a lot of folks obviously are not happy with him and the fact that he'll be back again next year, but uh, it's the, the jury is still out definitely on the Johnsons, especially with the job that Christopher has done over the last couple of years here while Woody's been abroad. But uh, so I can't blame Jets if they want to be skeptical, but uh, unfortunately with pretty limited resources, not what to do about it. You just kind of have to grin and bear it and hope for the best, I suppose. Let's talk free agency. What do you think the Jets should do externally? We'll get to the internal free agents next. But are there any specific targets you like in terms of players and which positions do you think they should be looking to fill? We already talked about the offensive line, but still, that's an obvious answer. What else do you think they should be shopping for in free agency? Yeah, so I'll probably wind up talking uh, you know, mostly generically in terms of positions. I still have uh, some homework to do as far as specific free agent names and everything like that. Maybe have one or two suggestions here, but uh, could use some more boning up on the free agents to be. Uh, but that said, I mean, cornerback obviously is going to have to be a big focus with Jermaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts kind of both going by the wayside here. Johnson, obviously, the Jets have no choice but to release him. and uh, They probably should do the same with Daryl Roberts. So, uh, you know, you have two open spots there. You, you would think you have to fill at least one of them in free agency in some way. And uh, then, you know, if they can find an edge rusher, that would obviously go a long way as well. I mean, there's uh, I know a handful of them should be hitting the open market this year, or at least they're scheduled to. It's just a matter of if their current teams decide to lock them up or, you know, use franchise tags on them as well. But uh, the Jets haven't had an elite edge rusher in uh, what feels like forever at this point. And I, I think we have this conversation every time this year, and it's something that comes up throughout the course of every season. So uh, the Jets need to find someone that can really routinely get to the quarterback coming off the edge. So uh, the best way to do that is probably through free agency, you know, though it will cost the Jets a ton of money, but uh, the chances of them having one of the elite addressers like uh, a Chase Young or uh, AJ Appenisa from Iowa falling number 11 doesn't seem very good. So it looks like they're going to have to do that through free agency if they're going to want to fill that hole. Uh, and like you mentioned, the offensive line, obviously, something that they're going to have to do a lot of work on. Uh, you know, it seems like they could probably use at least two starters in free agencies. Uh, it's just a matter of who Joe Douglas wants to target, uh, which position specifically he wants to target, and you know, how he wants to kind of combine that with his picks toward the top of the draft to find some starters there as well and kind of reconstitute that unit. So uh, those, I think, are the three biggest spots for the Jets, cornerback, uh, edge rusher, and offensive line going into free agency. Uh, obviously, there's some other weaknesses on this team, but uh, those can probably be addressed either, you know, with some of the in-house guys that you mentioned, or uh, just by, you know, getting some young talent in the draft. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Now let's talk internal free agents, Matt. We know that the three big names are Robbie Anderson, Jordan Jenkins, and Brian Poole. What do you think about bringing those three guys back? And the other guys that are on the team that are impending free agents, there are over 20 of them overall. Those are the three big names that I just mentioned. And then which guys do you think that the Jets should say goodbye to? I would think that one of them is probably going to rhyme with Mamain Watson. I could be wrong, but I would think that that's one of the guys that could be gone as a cap casualty this offseason. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. Truman uh, should definitely be a cap <laughs> casualty. That's a no-brainer. Uh, as far as those three big guys, uh, Jordan Jenkins, yes, I think the Jets should absolutely make a run and try to re-sign him. He's been really effective for them the last two years, posting career season in 2018 with seven backs and then following up by 
breaking that number and posting eight sacks this past season. So uh, he seems like he's really kind of blossomed into a, a serviceable pass rusher for the Jets over the last two seasons. And, uh, you know, he's also a good leader in that locker room, too. He's a, a positive presence in the room. So uh, that's definitely the kind of guy that you would like to stick around for sure. Uh, Brian Poole obviously had the one-year deal this season and uh, performed well. He was easily the Jets' best cornerback, not the uh, the rest of the unit really set the bar particularly high, but uh, Brian Poole was uh, remarkably consistent on the slot. He did a nice job, so uh, I think if you're the Jets, you would certainly like to ch- take a chance and, and pick him back up as well, but uh, Robbie Henderson is obviously the toughest call of the three, and I'm honestly really torn as to what the Jets do. I think I've kind of flipped back and forth on this over the last handful of weeks, handful of months, really. Um Personally, I'm not sold that Robbie is worth the 14 million inch that he's probably going to get. But the problem is there's not that many other guys on the market that uh, really are worth that money either. Uh, there's not that many other talented options out there. And Sam Darnold needs someone to throw to, obviously. So um, if the Jets don't think that they're going to take a wide receiver in the first round or maybe even, you know, kind of high in the second round there, uh, a guy that can be kind of an elite target for Sam Darnold, then I would think that they should sign Rob Anderson, uh, even if you know it might be a, a little bit too much in the grand scheme of things. You have to make sure that Sam Darnold has some legitimate targets around him. So Robbie Anderson is uh, kind of a 50-50 call for me. I think it's just a matter of how Joe Douglas wants to go about his offseason and uh, how he wants to structure things. I wouldn't fault Douglas for letting Robbie Anderson walk, uh, given the projected price tag. And the fact that Robbie Anderson still, you know, he's not a guy that's had a couple thousand yards seasons here. He's yet to crack a thousand yards. He seems like he's a pretty streaky player. So if Douglas wanted to let him go, that would seem fine to me. But if Douglas wanted to play it safe, bring him back, uh, that the second half that Robbie Anderson put together is more indicative of what he can do in Rob uh, in Adam Gase's offense moving forward uh, and make sure that Sam Darnold at the very least has a guy that's you know, like a number two-ish wide receiver or number like 1B kind of guy. I mean, Robbie is not a true number one by anyone's definition, but he, you know, is on a step below that, and that's still valuable for Sam Darnold to have. So if Douglas wanted to bring him back for that reason, I could see the justification there too. So uh, I'm not going to make a huge case one way or another. That one's a tough call, and I wouldn't want to be making it if I was Joe Douglas. What do you think is going to happen with Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams? Do you think they try to sign Adams to an extension, and do you think they try to move Le'Veon Bell? I don't know that the Jets will actively try to trade either of them. I could I could very well see them doing you know basically what happened at the trade deadline, where uh, they're going to listen if other people want to call and make them an offer. But uh, you know, Douglas might not be out there knocking on doors and you know saying, "Hey, what do you want for or, you know what do you want to give us for these guys?" Um, if they get blown away, great. If not, they hang on to both of them. And the, as for Adams, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I guess it depends on what he wants. I mean, if if the Jets can get away with not giving him an extension this season and having him play on his deal that's pretty affordable and only comes with about a $7 million cap for next season. You'd probably be foolish to throw a bunch of money at him right now before he, you know, comes knocking on your door and hands it. Um, but obviously after a first team all pro season, it's kind of tough to see Jamal saying, ah, oh, no, I'm good. I'll, I'll wait a couple more years for the payday. Right. So um, that's a tough call too. I mean, uh, 
Jamal obviously is a heck of a playmaker. And uh, given how the safety market has been reset by the Bears here, he's probably going to be fetching at least $15 million a year. So that's another tough call for Joe Douglas. Um, if Jamal Adams decides that he's only playing for the Jets, if they give him you know, X dollars and that price tag is really, really steep and cuts into Joe Douglas's salary cap going into 2020 and he thinks he can use his resources better by trading him. I would very much understand that course of action from Douglas. It's just a matter of kind of how much value he thinks Jamal Adams brings versus the package that he could get in return. And, uh, you know, I could see that one going either way, but I think at this point the Jets would lean toward extending Jamal Adams as opposed to trading him unless they got an offer from someone that really knocked their socks off. Matt, put your prediction hat on. I know this is going to be a tough question for you, but what's going to happen with the AFC East in 2020? We saw the Bills take a step forward. Are they going to continue to take a step forward in 2020? What's going to happen with the Dolphins? Are they going to be able to put the pieces around whoever they end up putting a quarterback? And it looks like it could be Tua to start marching in the right direction there. How are the Jets going to fare? Are they going to be similar record-wise in 2020 to 2019, considering that they have the harder schedule coming up? And what's going to happen with the Patriots? Is Tom Brady going to leave? Is there going to be somebody else at quarterback for the Patriots in 2020? What do you think is going to happen here? Oh, boy. Um, great question. And if I knew the, all the answers, I would be making a lot more money in the futures market. But uh, the, I think... I mean, I'm picking the Patriots to win the AFC East until I'm proven otherwise. So uh, for all the Jets fans and Bills fans out there that are believers that their team can knock them off, maybe they can. But until I see Tom Brady is no longer there or that Bill Belichick is no longer there and the team you know, finally starts to sputter, I'm picking the Patriots to win the, win the division. Uh, and the Dolphins, I think, are kind of destined for another fourth-place finish just because – of the fact that the quarterback situation could be a bit fluid for them next year and they're still going to have a bunch of young guys that they're onboarding and trying to, you know, work out all the kinks again. They might be improved and more competitive and, you know, maybe win an extra game or something like that or, you know, right around that five win mark. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll know more obviously come April, Mar- uh, April, May. But uh, the fact that the quarterback situation is going to be fluid kind of makes me think that they're going to end up toward the bottom of the pack again with, with the Jets and Bills then obviously kind of duking it out for second and third. And uh, I would imagine that both of those teams could very well be right on the cusp of a wild card berth again next season. So uh, maybe this isn't the most adventurous uh, crystal ball time, but uh, the status quo is more or less what I'm going with at this point. That the, <laughs> you know, the Jets and Bills are going to be right around the middle fighting it out. Maybe the Jets will be a little bit better uh, next year than this year. Uh, certainly they should be given the resources that they have uh, to kind of fill some of these spots and the continuity uh, from one year to the next with the coaching staff would hope that they take a step forward, at least get to, you know, eight or nine wins and, and put up a bit more of a battle down the stretch there, if not 10. So uh, I'll go with the Patriots first. Bills and uh, Jets fighting over second place and and the Dolphins in fourth again. Matt, if there's one thing you're definitely not known for, it's hot takes. So I'm not surprised that your measured response to that question, whereas it would be very easy to get super adventurous. But I think that that's a very pragmatic way of looking at things. And that's why I think you're very balanced in your writing and when you come on the podcast. So thank you for coming on and providing that measured and balanced answer. Going to miss reading your work on the beat and having you on the podcast, but I'm glad that you're on to bigger and better things. 
So I hope everything works out for you. Don't forget to follow Matt on Twitter at M underscore S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. Not going to plug his work at NJ.com anymore, although you can go and read the archives if you want at NJ.com slash Jets. But it's going to be somebody else reporting on the Jets in 2020. But the podcast continues to roll on like always. And if you missed yesterday's show with Manish Mehta, we did part four of our in-depth discussion on the Rex Ryan era, a lot of cool stories that Manish has been telling that he has never told before, and there's going to be a bunch more over the next couple of weeks. Real treat, so if you missed that, go ahead and check it out. Day before that, we did another roundtable with my buddy John Grella, former communications director for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not only is he a diehard Jets fan, really knows his stuff, but he's great at decoding a lot of this PR communication stuff in terms of things that players and coaches and executives say, so always fun to have him on. Michael Nania came on for part three of the Sam Darnold project. We're going through every single game of Sam Darnold's career, and this week it was games seven through nine of the 2018 season. Next week we'll wrap up 2018, and then we'll move on to 2019, but it's a lot of fun to go back and look at every single play, every single game. Michael graded them, compared his grades to PFF, went through his grading system, explained why each grade exists and how we arrived at it. So if you've missed any of those episodes, make sure you listen. And we did a really fun mailbag over Super Bowl weekend, as we always do with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. If you like what we're doing on the show and you want to help out, easy way to do it without costing you any money or taking you much time. And you can do this for the Turn on the Jets podcast with Joe Caparoso too. Just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Like I said, Really doesn't take you any time. It costs you nothing, but it's a huge help to us. If you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And it does a lot to allow us to keep bringing you the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And for that, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.